I'm Robert Therrell. I'm Chase Bridges. And we both want to be screenwriters. So listen along as we find out how. Each week, we'll outline a new short film. And maybe even write some of our favorites. This is Written By. Welcome back to Written By, the number one podcast in the world. Right behind all the other ones. Right behind all the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> We're back with a From the Bowl episode this week. Yeah. I'm excited to see what we create. Speaking of creating things, Robert. Yeah. What have you been working on, man? You been working on anything? I got a, I got a pretty cool music video, I'm hoping. You can get off the ground in the okay. next few months. Okay. I'll have to show you the treatment unless you've seen it on Chava's phone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can. Yeah. Uh, I Is it for um, an artist that we know from a different state? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen the treatment. I would love to see it. Okay. But uh, yeah. I heard someone say something about oh. it, and uh, apparently people were excited for it. Oh, nice. I'm excited for That's it. That's cool. It's always good to hear. Uh, Robert's going to end up being like the, what's the, is it the Lyrical Lemonade dude? Who's that guy? Yeah, Cole Bennett. Yeah. yeah you're going to be like just the music video director of the South Carolina, yeah, the Carolinas. Yeah, I've thought about that. Yeah. Because they're really, there's no one in the Carolinas. I'm just, I'm not like as plugged into the music scene down here. Like I yeah. know, I know some people that are, I don't know. I'm just not. I haven't had the time to like go out to like random shows the way yeah. that other people. Well, that's can. time consuming, and also some people suck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man, I uh, I saw a really really great artist came through to the radio room Drake a few Bell? years ago. No, not Drake Bell. <laughs> Whenever I mention the radio room, everyone instantly says Drake Bell. <laughs> I know. <laughs> No, this is this is Coda the Friend, great hip hop artist. Okay, he like blew up like right after that show too, which is fun. But uh, there was a local opener, two local openers. One was great, but the first one, yeah, you could tell this was like a dude that was used to you know singing these like kind of punk rock type vocals with a lot of auto tune, and so like the moment he opened his mouth and like belted his first slide like people legit just like laughed it was so really? embarrassing i forget what the song was it was something that was like roses are red violets are yeah so there was no auto-tune <laughs> no, so there it was just sounded yeah. ridiculous just this dude screaming yeah <laughs> people, oh man dead. that's that's sad yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. But anyway, guys, before we get into this episode, we have a really special interview. Dude. We did this episode. Dude, we do, man. I don't even want to give it away because we'll talk about it in the interview. Yeah, but we got we got a professional screenwriter here on this a, podcast. A real one. You don't have You're... to listen to us jokes all day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will say. Uh, the interview does have some language, so if you're listening with kids, I know some of you listen with your kids, um, or if you're listening in the car with like your grandma or something, uh, <laughs> there, there is some language, uh, but if you go ahead and skip to the, the part where we jump into making the, um, the short film, which is, if you read the title, it's a, it's a mummy, 
you should be good. No, all clean from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you're cool with the language, super great interview. A lot to learn. all you aspiring screenwriters. It's yeah, a great dude, interview. A lot so. to learn. Man, I learned a lot. Yeah, let's, uh, let's get into it. Guys, today we have a guest. You may have seen some of his work on Netflix, El Camino Christmas. You may have, uh, well, you haven't seen American Dreamer yet because it debuted last month at the Tribeca Film Festival starring Peter Dinklage. You may have seen Screenwriter Utopia with their large following online and on Instagram. Or maybe you've read his book, Screenwriting on the Internet. Ladies and gentlemen, Christopher Wayner. There's no live Thanks studio audience, but if there was, <laughs> yeah, they'd be all cheering. They'd be going yeah. crazy right now. They'd <laughs> be ecstatic. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely, yeah. this is an honor. Thank you so much. Uh, it's super. We've never had a guest on the show yet that is an actual. You know, you've been in the business for over 20 years. You've had scripts be sold. We we haven't uh, been able to speak to someone like that. So this is a huge deal for us to actually learn a lot about the business through someone who's been in it for a while. Yeah, I've been in it. Um, for over 25 years. Um, and the things I've never lived in, in Los Angeles, um, I've kind of kept a career going from afar, which is a super interesting thing, right? Because typically people are like, you gotta be in LA if you're going to make it. Uh, but you've proved otherwise. Have you always lived in, is it Florida, right? Well, I've uh, Colorado for the longest time. I just moved to Florida. I mean, that's kind of the germination of my book, uh, screenwriting on the internet. Uh, I, I pitched that to Michael Weesey Productions in the late 1990s when I used the internet to get my first agent option, my first script. And, you know, that's when it was really becoming viable as a tool for screenwriters and writers um, and other artists to um, connect with their industries. And so I wrote the book in 2000, I think, 2001, Michael Weesey's Productions uh, published it. And I actually traveled a little bit doing screenwriting conferences and seminars and things like that. I traveled with Sid Field, Michael Haig, uh, Linda Sager. We, we were at a lot of the same um, conferences talking about screenwriting. Only my aspect was obviously how writers could use this new tool, the World Wide Web and, uh, <laughs> you know, the internets <laughs> and uh, marketing. <laughs> yeah, you really were. I was looking through Screenwriters Utopia the other day. Uh, after I had messaged you and there's a part on the about page where it like shows the website through all the different years and like all the way back in 1995 when like I yeah. it was like the early age of the internet like yeah, it was really yeah. interesting you were way ahead of the curve I, I was the second website for screenwriters the first one was Charles Deemer I don't know if you guys even know who he was he had a, a, a website he was the first he was a a writer novelist in Portland Oregon taught at a university there He's since fallen away. I, I, I think he's still alive, but he's he's off the internet. But mine's kind of the original source, really, that is still there. And and um, yeah, I'm kind of proud of it, actually. Yeah, super yeah. proud. Yeah. So what what were the early days of the internet like back then, and how were you able to use them to kind of break into the film industry? Well, it it was a lot easier because um, you know managers and agents, the young ones, the hungry ones who were looking for clients. Imagine that. Uh, they would post their information on the internet and you could just, I mean, it was easy to contact them, query them and uh, get, get responses, you know? So it was actually a lot easier. And then, you know, they were looking themselves like um, Daniel Knopf, who did this, the series Carnival on 
uh, HBO. He was a guy who actually worked on my website, wrote for it, was a, a struggling screenwriter, and he put his stuff on his own. He made he created a page and, cr- and put up his scripts and and his uh, uh, bibles for pitching his TV idea. And a producer came along from HBO, found him, and took him on. And of course, Carnival became a huge success. And I was in the, he's on the blacklist. I mean, he, he's a he's a you know a major player in Hollywood, and it all started for him on the internet. And you know, there's so many stories like that. But it was a lot easier. I mean, today now you've got a lot more resources, obviously. Uh, you know, but it's it's so much money driven. You know that that writers have to be careful because you can pay you know for these websites like the blacklist to, to have them cover your script. And if it gets a good rating, then it can help you potentially. But there are some good resources. You just got to be really careful. And it's so convoluted. There's so many writers. What is it? You know, every, every year, 20, 30,000 screenplays are registered or, or, or copy protected. I mean, it's just crazy. The, the competition. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's a very, because of the internet, which back then I guess was a super, uh, super great tool. Now it's like, everything's oversaturated. Everybody's a writer. Everybody's an actor. Everybody's a TikTok star. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Uh, so speaking of the early days of your writing, the second screenplay you wrote was called, uh, warm beer, right. which eventually went on to be El Camino Christmas, which yep. came out uh, a few years ago on Netflix. Uh, talk a little bit about that journey. Yeah. So I had in college, when I first learned about screenwriting, I, I, there was an old TV program called 60 Minutes, and I was doing homework one night in college, and I happened to watch this show while I was working, and they did an interview with a guy named Shane Black who wrote Lethal Weapon. And I didn't even know there was such thing as a screenwriter. And he had just sold, like, the largest spec script, one of the largest ones next to uh, Esther Haas, and he, he got interviewed, and I was and I was fascinated by the story because I loved the movie, and I'm like, I got to look into what screenwriting is. So that kind of got me into it self-taught you know i looked at the internet found what screenplay format was and i think i bought sid field's book and then i just started dabbling in and my first screenplay was this hor- horrible world war ii script that i that actually my i sent copies to family members and they wouldn't even read it so it was that bad but uh, <laughs> there. <laughs> but so i gave it time i kept writing and then i had this idea in college i took a sociology class and i had to write a paper on this vietnam vet Larry and I would hang out with him and we go drink beers together and I go grocery shopping with him and I got to know him and I slowly interviewed him in his story. Uh, he was, he was, you know, PTSD sufferer. Like we were at a grocery store once and somebody, a clerk or somebody dropped something really loud and kind of, you know, I kind of look over and flinch and I look back and Larry's gone and he's on the floor. <laughs> he hit, he went, oh, wow. he was like, he hit the deck because it was that, you know, just traumatized still from, from Vietnam. So he was a character. He was funny. You know, we go drink. Anyways, he was the basis for Tim Allen's character in that movie. I, the, the Tim Allen's story about of his buddies getting blown up by friendly fire was a real story that happened in Durang oh, Valley. Wow. Just, um, and a lot of Tim Allen's character was based on, on this guy uh, that I interviewed for a sociology paper in college. And that was kind of germination of it. And then I had this idea of a kid looking for his dad. And then, you know, what if this would, you know, he, he accidentally or he goes to the town, thinks he's gone, but it runs into him. And really, what, that, that story of mine was a lot darker. Like, Larry was supposed to rob that that liquor store that morning. Larry was because he was broke, and Eric would just happen to be in there. And then, of course, the deputies would show up. Uh, D'Onofrio's character, um, Hooker, would show up, and it'd become this clusterfuck. And to me, the whole idea was just trying to put a bunch of interesting people in a really crazy situation. And, and that just kind of was a germination of it. 
That's awesome. Uh, so I got to say, I love El Camino Christmas. Thank you. Me and my girlfriend, we watch it every Christmas. Since yeah, he's not lying about it. Full yeah. disclosure, I watched it last night, but yeah, he's, dude, he's I, told me to watch it for a oh, while. Oh, yeah. Man. I, <laughs> it's my favorite Christmas movie, yeah. and I'm not just saying that because you're here. Um, the How cool was it to see the actors that got cast for that? Because, I mean, it's an all-star cast. You yeah, Vin, mentioned uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, Dax Shepard, uh, Tim Allen, uh Jessica Alba. Yep. Uh, am I missing anyone? Tons well, of Luke, people. Luke Grimes, who's now a pretty big star on, on Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Yeah. Luke Grimes was on there. And he, and, uh, he, he was a f- up and coming actor at the time. So yeah, it, it was surreal. Um, so I got on set uh, the afternoon. They were starting to film in the liquor store and it was um, the, the scene right after um, Hooker gets shot and he's on the floor and it was crazy to to watch. You know, I was in the in the uh, producer's tent, and so there's there's a director's tent, a producer's tent. And you're watching on a big screen, or actually, there's several screens. You're watching what they're filming. The people are actually right there where the camera is. Yeah, are not a lot. It's you know, it's, it's the assistant director, it's the cinematographer. Sometimes it's the right, director, yeah. but you don't have us all standing there watching. We're all 50 yards away or 50 feet away in our tents, but still, you're right there, and I get to watch the actors come in. You know, and and uh, it was cool. It, it was surreal. It, it you know, it, it does definitely, you know, it was a long journey for me. I, you know, I wrote that script in 94, 95, and then, you know, 2017 it films. And uh, that was, you know, my first produced script. And it was a long journey. There's so many times we thought that was going to get made and some other things of mine that, um, you know, so many times things fall through. Because, you know, you, you can't imagine the long list of people that have to say yes in order for your movie to get made. You know, you you've got to you got to sell it to your and your agent, your manager. They've got to then take it and sell it to a producer or, or a studio executive. Then he then they got to take it to a meeting with other studio executives. They got to sell it to all of them. They, they have to say, all say yes, and then the studio has to have the money and say, okay, we'll put them. So how many times it fell through? I don't even remember. I mean, wow. there was years ago. It was at Turner. I don't know if you remember Turner, but Turner Movie Classics, um, they yeah. were going to make it and it fell through there. I mean, just just off and on. And, and um, really, the reason why it came through was. Um, Ted Malfi uh, became kind of a big name in, in Hollywood. I met Ted through the internet, his brother, and um, Ted got my script, loved it, and he, and he wanted to direct it. And uh, so he, he was going through it, and then he, he started to kind of work on He's asked me if he could do some writing on it, and I said, sure. You know, I mean, by that point, when Ted got involved, I'd written it, and it had been 15 years, 10 years, whatever it was, and I had kind of given it all I could. You know, I had no more left to give that script. And Ted took it in a different <laughs> direction. I mean, I, it was a very dark script. Like everybody died at the end. Um, in oh, my wow, room. wow. And uh, Ted's like, we can't, we can't have it like this. He goes, no one, will, this is, this is an incredibly fucking sad movie. You know, no one will want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, Ted, Ted's kind of, you know, he's kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, wonderful life. Frank Capra, the modern era. So he took it and, and gave it a little lighter side. Uh, a lot of my humor is still in there. And then Ted kind of brought forth some of his humor. And then, uh, you know, it became what it was. And, and I think ultimately, at the end of the day, his choices were correct because, you know, the story I wanted to have made wouldn't have sold to Netflix. So um, he was, you know, and then he became big. He had, he had, you know, St. Vincent come out. Then he had um, Hidden Figures come out. And, and Netflix was like, you know, they wanted to make a Ted Melfi film. And luckily, he, he had our script and, he, and they bought it. So That's really awesome. That mm-hmm. goes to show, though, there is a... Uh, there's a compromise between art and business oh. almost where it's like, this is the story I want to tell, 
but right. it's not the story that will be bought. Well, it's, it, filmmaking is the ultimate collaborative initiative because there's so many people that have artistic say or involvement from the cinematographer to the editor to the director to producers to people physically hands on the set that light it. And, you know, and then the actors bring stuff. I mean, D'Onofrio took Carl Hooker to a level I didn't even envision. I mean, it was amazing what he did with that character. Um, Tim Allen, I, I wasn't, when I heard Tim Allen was going to be Larry, it was not, I pictured a Nick Nolte, a Nick Nolte guy for like, um, okay. yeah, yeah, Larry, yeah. you know, and I, 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 when I heard Tim Allen, I'm like, ah, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm thinking tool, Tim, the tool man, I'm thinking Santa Claus, Santa Claus. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, um, and then that first day on set, when I watched him, I'm like, fuck, he's nailing it. You know, he, and he, 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 he really does. He, yeah. He told me he, he was waiting, looking for a dark character. And there's actually there's a monologue I wrote I wrote called the shit monologue, where he kind of chews Eric's ass about you know his use of the word shit and he goes I you know I've seen shit smelled shit smoked shit he, and he gives and he goes that monologue is what sold me because I had a stand up bit he told me where I kind of did something like that when I read that I'm like yeah you know I, I want to do this character so it was kind of cool unfortunately he didn't make it into the final cut again collaborative effort from the editors to producers yeah. there's so many people that are involved. You know, when you, you sell it, you're, you're giving it to them and they're taking your baby away. You never see it again until it's birth, you know? So how, in, like that being said, when you did see it for the first time, how did you feel? Were you excited or were you like, ah, oh, I wish they would have kept this or. Um, I was excited. So I, I got, I went, so the, they it filmed in April, May of 2017. And I went back in August to watch part of a rough cut. And I wasn't thrilled with the rough cut. I didn't. I was like, oh, man, I don't know. Um, but I, I had a lot of confidence in Ted. Ted's a brilliant filmmaker. He's smart. I, I knew in my heart it was going to be fine. So then I came back for the premiere um, in December. Uh, we, we was there in, in Los Angeles. And uh, they had actual in a theater premiere, which is cool. And, yeah, it, yeah I, was, I was very happy, very blown away uh, when I saw it on screen. It was it was. It was cool. Yeah, it was definitely, I was very happy. Again, it wasn't totally a movie I would have made, but I don't think the movie I wanted would have been, would have made it. It wouldn't have been made. Interesting. Yeah. So what's, uh, what's the status on the, uh, the American Dreamer film? And was that, was that another script that you had written a long time ago or did you, did you write this one more recently? So that one was years ago. Ted uh, was filming Hidden Figures, and he called me and said, "Hey, why don't you listen to this podcast about this lady?" Or uh, um, it wasn't actually a lady. It was about a person, an older person that wanted to stay in their home until they die, and then they, they're going to sell it to somebody. And it really wasn't quite like that, anyways. But he, I, heard, I listened to it, and he's like, "I want to write something inspired by that." So we throw while while he was filming Hidden Figures, we would talk daily on email. We we did an outline together. We came up with this storyline and these characters. And um, and then once we had a good treatment, uh, then we said, all right. And what I would do is I, he goes, he go, okay, I want you to work on the first five scenes. So I type out the first five scenes. I email them to him. Then he would work on it and do his thing and then send it back. And we did that, that back and forth for a couple of years, even after Hidden Figures. And then ultimately the producers wanted just Ted to work on it. Um, so he took it and went and finished the screenplay. And I, you know, I helped work, work on part of the screenplay. I didn't have 33% like the WGA requires. So all I got oh, was yeah. a story by credit. Um, uh, but I did help work on the script a little bit, just not enough to get credit. Um, but anyways, yes, Ted uh, called me up one day. I was like, Hey, I want to work on this story. I want for Peter Dinklage, um, it's for Peter Dinklage's company. 
I'm like, sure, let's, let's do it. Peter Dinklage, man, he's one of those he's one of those actors that's like anything he's in, I'm watching. <laughs> he's just too good, man. Yeah, this should be funny. It should be a little dark, but also, you know, Ted will be a little uplifting. And uh, hopefully, so what's it's, it, it premiered at Tribeca now? It's we're just waiting, and I'm not involved in this at all. I, I don't talk to anybody, but they're just waiting now to either sell it to an HBO or an, an Amazon or a heck, maybe even a Netflix. It'll probably be later this year before it'll come out on a platform for people to watch. Cool, cool. Yeah. What's what's like the dream project for you? What's like that one script that's sitting in the back that you just you really hope gets its due one day? Well, actually, it's something that I'm I'm trying to develop with my manager. Um, it's called Dakota. It's it's a dark noir. It's about two loner uh, overnight security guards that are infatuated with a coffee barista girl and they fake a robbery to win her affection only it goes horribly wrong and she ends up getting really kidnapped and they have to actually rescue her <laughs> uh, so i i saw on your uh website the uh, warm beer productions website you have like a section of your projects that you you kind of yeah. have and i saw the dakota one and i was like out of the i think there's like four or five on there mm-hmm. i was like i need to see that movie that sounded amazing yeah i, I want to film <laughs> it here in florida and i've got some connections we're hoping it's going to be a you know a small million dollar two million dollar movie hopefully but it may never happen frankly uh the manager also uh david firestone likes it and he's trying to raise money for it and um but i think you know back in the day i was actually there was a, a show called six on the history channel the navy seal show i'm really more i'm, I'm not really like an i'm really an action thriller writer which is kind of I'm getting pigeonholed as a comedy guy. I, I like I like dark comedy. And it comes out in my writing, but I'm really more of an action thriller writer. And and I was actually I, I I my managers back then had got me into that show. We, I wrote a sample a spec script for that that's that Navy Seal show, and the the producers loved it. And uh, I think I was on the verge of get, becoming uh, a part of that writers group, or at least having that script sold to them. And then uh, it got canceled. So that was kind of a bummer. Oh, I really man. was looking. Yeah, six got count. I was looking forward to that, but like, yeah, I mean, I, I really would love to be more writing the thriller action stuff, but um, you know, I'll take what I can get. You can't be picky in this business. How is everything working? Because again, you're adamant about how you don't live in California and you can have a career outside of LA. How does like talking back and forth? Like, are your managers in California? Are you headed out there a lot or? be doing a lot of remote work how does how does that work uh, my manager's in san francisco um, I, and my previous managers were in la and my previous agent was in la yeah i mean I, I fly there when i can uh when i have to like one year i went out six times it's been a couple years since i've gone out uh, i will say this to be very very honest uh, my career has been a lot harder because i haven't been there than it would have been if i if i had been there boots in the ground interacting and having personal relationships with people I would have made a lot more connections and I think my career would have taken off sooner and I would probably have a more involved career. Um, you can, but the thing is when I started, I was married. I had a baby. I had a job in Colorado. I, you know, I couldn't drop everything and move to Los Angeles when my, when I got my first agent, you know, it wasn't in the cards. I couldn't, you know, couldn't do it. So you can start your career using the internet with these resources. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, if you are serious and you want a, a long-standing career, you have to move there. To be very honest, interesting. Yeah. 
It is it is super interesting to hear about like how you were in communication with uh, your partner when you guys were working on kind of the outline for the American story and um, because so uh, given a little backtrack on our podcast so the reason we started doing it's called written by and the reason we started doing it is because we were writing through COVID over the phone. We wrote a feature together over the phone and then we started working and producing short films together and it was all just over the phone. It was just be like, Hey, you write the first scene. I'll write this, Uh, the very similar thing. So it's super cool to hear that, uh, you also have have been in that same kind of lane because that's what inspired us to to make this. Yeah. The the, the key to obviously was organization. We had to have our, our treatment, our outline, first so we both knew the story we knew where it was heading we knew the ending when i start a story i have to know you know i got to know character who am i who are my characters I gotta know the circumstance um i have to know, know the major beats of it i have to know the ending what it resolves and why it resolves it and then from there i can let my characters kind of take me on a, on a journey sometimes i'm not a big like i don't when i sit down and write screenplays typically i don't have a, an in-depth outline only when i'm hired to do that when i'm hired for on a project they always require it You know, you have to have an outline treatment before they'll let you write a word because they want to make sure that they're on the same page as me. But when I'm writing for some, for me, sometimes I'll just start the scene. A scene will jump in my head. Then I'll I'll write that scene and then I'll kind of start putting notes. I have notebooks full of stuff. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll get get my notebook for a few weeks and then I'll get back and start organizing stuff. I mean, I don't have to write chronologically. It may just be scenes that pop into my head. But, you know, once the juices get going, you kind of release that, you know, the faucet, let it pour out of you. But yeah, absolutely. You can the way you guys did it. You know, was exactly the way Ted and I. We just had to have an outline, so we knew he's like, "Here, you start writing these." He wanted me to write, and then he took him and he did his thing to him, and we just kind of built it step by step that way. That's really awesome. It's really yeah. interesting to hear how writers' processes are, because everybody writes differently. Yeah, there's no there's no set way. Obviously, I, I know writers who will meticulously use note cards and they don't, they don't write a word until they've got their entire stack of note cards. They have their entire script uh, and, and the others will have treatments or others have outlines and others are like me where they just have to know a few things to get going. I don't like to be too plotted because I think it restricts you. But then again, even when I have done that with times I've been hired, I always find that when I'm dialed into a story, scenes will just kind of pop into my head or, or dialogue or, or, ideas and then that's that's when you really know that you're connected to your story when you're writing something and you realize i just wrote half a page that i didn't plan on writing because it just jumped in my head you know that's also the joy of writing that kind of shit but it's hard i mean i've gone when i wrote this history book on cal rogers i didn't write a screenplay i didn't write a single screenplay because sometimes the well is absolutely fucking dry you know and the only time I can sit down and force myself to write is when I'm hired to write something. You know, otherwise, if I'm if I'm writing a spec script, I don't sit down unless I know that I'm ready. You know, it's just not the way I work unless I'm getting paid ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. So what what is kind of the big difference between writing for yourself and getting hired to write? Because like kind of where we come from, there's a very active film community, and like some of our older friends are starting to make their first features, but they're all it's all like self-funded, written on spec. So like what what is the difference like when someone hires you to write something for them? You get a check and it doesn't bounce, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't write a fucking word until I, I so how you get it. typically so typically it's been through my agent or manager. Um they'll they'll have a contact to say, hey, I like one of the first things I was hired to do, I was hired to rewrite a horror script. If you can imagine that back in the late nineties and it was through my, uh, my agent, 
she's like, yeah, I know it's not your genre, but I sold them on you. You know, it's 5,000 up front, 5,000 delivery. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not WGA yet. I'm, I'm starting to get there, but so I could work with any kind of independent company. Uh, once you become WGA, you can only work with WGA signatory companies. And then you get a set fee that the, that is in the, these, the WGA uh, requirements. So that, that ultimately though limits you because then you can only work with the big companies you to go work with these smaller independent companies. You can't do it. And I've always kind of liked doing that. So I've kind of been fairly okay with not being in the WGA, but um, yeah, so I got, you know, typically through my manager agents they here, you know, you want to do this? I'm like, sure. You know, I, I asked for the script. This was a rewrite. This was a, this was a page one rewrite, you know, complete rewrite. I read it. I liked it. And, um, we did a, a, a meeting uh, is actually a, a conference call and I kind of pitched them my take on rewriting it. They liked it. So then they hired me They sent me a check didn't bounce. So I started writing and then, uh, you know, I did the job. So typically it's that way. I've, I've been approached actually through my website to do some stuff. Um, when one producer saw I, I was a historian and had a civil war book, he wanted me to adapt a civil war novel of his, of the, he had his producer and I got hired to do that. And there's lots of rewrites and stuff. You know, it, it's always weird. It kind of comes and goes. Sometimes I'll get several in a row, then I'll go eight months without anything. You know, it's just, you just never know. And COVID really shut down a lot because people, they had their stuff and they were making it and their pipeline was full. And so they weren't looking to fill anymore because they didn't know what the future held. But now it's finally opened up again. So that's really interesting. So uh, winding up here, uh, I want to talk again a little bit about Screenwriters Utopia, which is the website mm -hmm. that you founded all the way back in 1995. Wait, that's amazing to me that you had the foresight of what the Internet could do. Um well, if I was smart, uh, I would have like, you know, I remember when I saw, was it Yahoo on Stanford's website, you know, those guys launched it on Stanford or I remember when yeah. Google launched on, where was it? If I had foresight, I would have bought stock in those damn companies. My, I never oh, did. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> then you can make whatever movie you yeah. wanted. You yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sitting here talking money. to you guys. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome, man. Uh, so uh, with screenwriters right. utopia, uh, do you have anything cool coming up? I know you guys do like some competitions and some other stuff. Really to be honest with you, I've kind of, I've kind of, I neglected it. You know, I, I need to get back on, on, on keeping it updated. I think our last article was three months ago, but, um, you know, it's got, it has a searchable database of thousands and thousands of articles. And we used to do script reviews back in the day. We used to, I, I had a guy stacks was his code name, his handle, his side call, whatever. And he was in the industry and he would get screenplays that were in development before they were filmed. And he, we, he would write a review of it. And then he would, oh, he, wow. he would get me scripts. Like I, I mean, I, I forget the movies I've, I've read, but I would, we got screenplays before the movies came out, like, and we would do reviews. Well, I got the the script for Minority Report, Scott Frank. I don't know if you remember who that is. Um, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a pretty big guy now, but anyway, so I did a script review of Minority Report. And I got an email out of the blue from Scott Frank. He's like, Hey, loved your review, but it wasn't my script. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, that was the co-writer's previous script. The one that I rewrote. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm sorry. He goes, want me to send you it? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, I couldn't – I wasn't allowed to review it. The movie came out right before. But so that started a friendship with Scott Frank, actually. He and I, you know, correspond off and on. And, you know, um, when he was uh, doing Godless, uh, that his series of, you know, a year, a couple years ago, we were corresponding about that. I mean, I've met 
professional writers through the website who have reached out to me and, you know, uh, you know, Sid Field, of course, when I was touring with him and he's done some stuff on my website and, uh, you know, unfortunately he's passed a few years ago. Um, but yeah, we, we don't, do, I don't do as much. I mean, I started it as a way to network with writers. I had a, a bulletin board, which is a message board where it was one, it was one of the most popular message boards for writers back in the day because it was the only one. Um, but then, you know, I had a competition database for writers to find screenplay competitions. I had uh, listings for writers to find, you know, coverage reports and, and help and find agents, you know, agent listings, manager listings. But then what happened was all these other websites showed up on the scene where they, they focused on that and they hired professional programmers. And I'm just, you know, hate, I'm just doing my HTML and my own programming, you know. <laughs> and so I kind of, the utopia kind of dropped in popularity because companies got involved. Like there's a company called ScriptShark back in the day and they all kind of, and Inkwell and, and Inktip, whatever. And they all kind of jumped in and started charging writers money to do things I was doing for free, but they were doing it better than I was because I didn't have the resources. Um, so it kind of it kind of dropped down, but I still keep it updated because I know it's got a database of useful free content. You want to learn how to write query letters, or you want to learn how to you know improve your script. It's got all kinds of free content on there, and you know I hope it's still a resource for writers and try to keep it updated. It's just hard to do with my schedule, and I don't I don't have a company you know to maintain it. It's just me. Yeah. 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 So I guess one final question is, since you came up like using the internet before everyone else, like what, <laughs> what would be like the updated advice, like for all of our listeners in the current industry that have feature screenplays, they've sent it to all their friends in the industry, they like it. What, what would you say is like the next step that they should consider taking? Well, I mean, it's, it's brutally tough to be very honest. Yeah. Um, you know, you could write an amazing screenplay and and still not i've read some amazing screenplays that never never made it um, and you'd be shocked how many professional writers never get produced but make a living a good living you know selling their work being hired to for you know to work and 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 never have had a movie made i know numerous ones that are excellent better than me and they haven't had anything made just because of bad luck or just whatever it's 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 an incredibly tough business. I've noticed about every five to seven years, a new wave of hopeful, hungry, <laughs> up and coming writers come in. And after about five or seven years, it's so brutal. They disappear. I mean, I've seen them come in waves. It's about every five or seven years, a, a group comes in hungry to do it full of optimism and they don't have staying power because they just don't realize just how difficult. I mean, you know, for the longest time I had a day job, you know, I, I wrote on weekends and evenings because that's how you survive. You know, you, you know, luckily now I teach college stuff and, and when I need to make extra money, but, um, it's, it's tough. I would say, hopefully if it's, if it's, if you've written something really good and you're getting great feedback, hopefully, uh, you can get it into, you know, a, a, you know, the right company. And, I, and to me, you don't, you don't need agents when you need an agent, they'll come find you. you you're, if you're that big, They'll be knocking on your door. You can find managers that will help guide your career and read your material. Uh, that's why I've kind of stuck with. I haven't had an agent in a long time um, because there's so many online resources that if your script's good, you know, I, I do like the blacklist. I think websites like that really do help people. There's a website called Inktip. I don't know if you know that one. That's a really good website to upload your script, screenplay. And there's it's it's got a verifiable list of producers and agents that go through that, that database looking for material 
Um, there's some very legit resources that do cost money that I would encourage a writer to use if they really feel their script is that good. Um, and hopefully if it is that good, they can get a manager or a producer to read. I mean, I, in my book and in my class, I actually have online, if you go to my Instagram account, Wainer's Rules, I have a class on there. And the last tutorial I do is how I've been able to maintain a career using the internet. And I, I go through how I query, I have downloadable templates. Um, there is really a technique to querying producers um, that has worked for me for a long time. And how, I, I mean, that's really the bread and butter of how I've made it is by far through my own work online. So it's, even if you have a great screenplay, it's still so difficult, unfortunately, that I, I wouldn't encourage someone to enter screenwriting. <laughs> and, uh, that's, why, that's, that's why I'm an author too. And I write history books and um, because I, I have always had that joy. I know, I know like this book on, on Cal Rogers, I know I'll publish it. I know someone will publish it. It may not be Harper Collins, like someone I want to publish it, but I'll, I'll get it published. Mm -hmm. And with a screenplay, you know, it doesn't mean anything until it gets on screen or on your TV. Unfortunately, I mean, it's. I remember I got option the first time. That was amazing. I made. I got that first check. You know, I was an actual paid screenwriter. That's amazing. And those are definitely um, stepping stones that kept me in the game. But it is really a hope factory. You know, you send off that query. And back in the day when I was hardcore doing, it, I would send off twenty five email queries a week to producers. Maybe I get one response, and I send a script out. You know, maybe one or two a month. And you're hopeful. You send it off and you're like, oh, okay, this could be the one. This this guy could like it, you know, and maybe they'll <laughs> option it. And and you're excited and it gets you back invigorated. You're writing again. And then you get the rejection email. Or really what, you, what happens is you don't ever hear back. That's the, the bad part is uh, what I've learned is producers and agents, they often won't even respond to you, your query, after they've got – say they get your script. They won't, they won't usually get back to you because then – once they get back to you and reject you, they've put themselves on one side of the fence. They've said no to you. And just in case you become the next big hit, they don't want to have you remembered, hey, you're the guy that rejected me. <laughs> they rejected well, me. Not... <laughs> well, they just, they'll read it and go, ah, it sucks. And they won't even tell you that they're not interested. I really have a lot of respect for the ones that do nowadays get back to me. I always thank them. Like, hey, thank you for responding. That's all I say. I don't bug them. Like, why didn't you like it? You know, uh, I just say, hey, thank you for letting me know. I appreciate it. And, Cause it is cool. And you know, a producer does say, Hey, this wasn't for me. I'm going to have to pass on. I'm sorry. I always say thank you. And then I'll, I'll say, Hey, thank you. And if I have something else in the future, can I query you again? And if they say, yeah, you know that they, they thought they saw something in it or if they don't respond to that email, then, you know, yeah, I'm not going to send him anything yeah. <laughs> again. Uh, that, that is really good advice. That is really, really yeah. Good. I mean, yeah, there is a, there is a, a system to querying uh, producers that I've learned. Uh, there's a, there's a, etiquette and there's a technique and it's helped me and so i encourage anyone my class is only 19 bucks it's 12 video tutorials an hour and a half of stuff i go through my process and how i write and what i've learned about what i think hollywood looks for and and then the last uh, couple of videos are how i maintain a career from afar so i encourage anyone that's awesome yeah it's out there to check it out yeah, yeah we'll, absolutely. we'll put a link to that. Yeah, we'll put a link in, in the description below. Yeah. So everybody listening, you can find the class. How much did you say it was? It was only like... 19 bucks, and sometimes it goes on sale. But yeah, the link is in my Instagram. Heck yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for being here. It was awesome talking to you. Uh, we'll, we'll send you a link to this when it comes out Great. so you can listen to it if you want. Uh, you got anything else, Rob? No, just thank you so much. And yeah. especially, yeah, for all the, all the real, real advice. Your history is super interesting. Love the movie I saw. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. It was fun. Well, 
Let's ride a short this film. Is time to hit. <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> fun there's some that i've been really looking forward to and i feel like we're never gonna get to them i i feel the same way yeah <laughs> i also feel bad like whenever we go a long stretch and it's not like a listener suggestion yeah it's like we promise they're in there yeah it's just, we it's put so, them all in here it's 100 random yes we are adamant about the fact this bowl will always be has always been yeah, random one, and we've 100%. never cheated and there's been times that i wanted to uh, yeah. <laughs> all right the one we got, this is a fun one. We have drawn random monster, which means I put this in. We have a, <laughs> we could go online. There's a random monster generator. All right. We're going to do that. And whichever monster we come up with. <laughs> the monster ones are always so hard. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause like there was a point after we wrote single with fangs before we even yeah. filmed it, where we were like, Ooh, We'll we should be, make a bonds a bunch of monster yeah. sh themed shorts. We'll be like the monster. We'll be the guys. monster guys. And then we tried writing a few more. It is so hard. Yeah, we had <laughs> we had our werewolf short, which I actually I liked a good bit. It just was like kind of similar. It to was just, yeah. And then one of one of the like two episodes we never aired because it was bad was a monster, yeah, it was one, a monster too. one. Our, our Bigfoot short, I really enjoyed that one. Oh, uh, that is a that is a monster technically. Yeah. yeah. So maybe maybe it was just that one that's got me down. Maybe. That right. one that was bad. <laughs> okay. Well, see, now I have to find the site that I... <laughs> and if you guys ever want to hear that episode... Do you still have it? Like the edit? Oh, yeah. I got it somewhere. And if you guys ever want to hear it, you have to pay us. <laughs> you have to pay. <laughs> we put the bad stuff behind a paywall. So... Robert's getting the mon the random monster all generator. Alright, alright, okay. I found it. I found it. <laughs> okay, I got mummy. Okay. Have we ever done anything with a mummy? I don't think so. No. There's of course the monster movie The Mummy. Yeah, the mummy. Which actually I haven't seen. It's been on the my Brendan list Fraser forever. One? Yeah. It's a really good one, man. Yeah. It's like uh I put it in the same vein as like a it's almost like a family adventure movie. Like Okay. It's for kids and adults. Yeah. It's like a Pirates of the Caribbean genre sure, movie. Yeah. It's really good. Brendan Fraser's dope. Um, <clears throat> mummies. Okay. So, I mean, right off the head, as we're recording this, Moon Knight is airing. Oh, so. yeah. I've seen a few episodes. I'm not caught up yet. Yeah. So, Mummy is a dead human or animal whose soft tissues and organs have been preserved by either intentional or accidental exposure to chemicals, extreme cold, very low humidity, or lack of air. Cool. When I think of mummies, I immediately think of, like, Scooby-Doo, where's my mummy? Yeah. Whereas, like, they're in a... I, I think of a pyramid. Inside the pyramid is a mummy. Uh-huh. Uh, I think of the Jimmy Neutron episode where they fight a mummy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always just instantly think Egypt, you know. Yeah, very Egyptian. Yeah. If you guys hear that, 
our recording studio is in a church, and I guess they're playing games downstairs. It sounds like it, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe a mummy is chasing (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I've got a list of, like, mummy movies pulled up. Okay. Um... Surely these aren't all of the mummy movie, like all mummy movies. It starts from 1955. Oh wait, no, it jumps around. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, there's an Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. Okay. <laughs> um, Ancient Evil Scream of the Mummy by Bram Stokers by Bram Stoker. Uh, Ancient Evil 2, The Awakening, The Aztec Mummy, Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, Legend of the Mummy, Bubba Hotep. <laughs> I like that one, Bubba Hotep. Oh, I just read something about that. About Bubba, Bubba Hotep? Hotep? It's a, okay, just just click on it and then look at the, the like, log Whoa. line. <laughs> it's a 2002 American comedy horror film. It stars Bruce Campbell as Elvis Presley, who is now a resident in a nursing home. <laughs> Uh, there's a man who claims to be John F. Kennedy, explaining that he was patched up after the assassination, died black, and abandoned. <laughs> yeah, this I, sounds really funny. I just saw a tweet about this. It's yeah, it's about Elvis Presley and a black JFK in the nursing. <laughs> Wait, so it's about a mummy? I think the mummy is the villain. I think there's like a mummy that haunts the nursing home or something. I don't know for sure. Oh, we got to watch this. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we could do a thing where we watch this movie uh, and you guys can watch it. Maybe we could do like a, a stream or something. That would be fun. Maybe. I have no idea if the movie's good or not. I just know. Well, I can the, tell the you right now it's good. not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I bet it's amazing. Uh, it's it's a cult status. It's got a seventy nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, nice! So it's better yeah. than Morbius. Yeah. <laughs> we. <laughs> okay, you know what I'm thinking of? I remember like around like end of 2020, there were like some memes going around where like there was a news article and it's like we found we found this ancient pharaohs or ancient king's mm. tomb or whatever. Oh, we're about was, to dig uh, up their remains. And then everyone's like, no, don't <laughs> dig up the remains. Leave, leave them there. We can't da- do anything else. 2020. <laughs> I saw that, but what I thought you were referencing. Oh, the mummy yelling. The mummy yelling. That is one of my favorite <laughs> memes ever. Dude, we'll put the audio of it in here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or, <laughs> I'm trying to find it. I love that where it's like, re here it is. Scientists were able to mimic Nessie Amun's voice by recreating his mouth and vocal cords with a 3D printer. It allowed them to produce a single sound. Oh! <laughs> Wait a minute. What if what if this is the short though? What if they manage to reconstruct more than just uh and the mummy Ooh, like talks to them? We do Jurassic Park with a but mummy. Mummies, yeah. Oh, that's that's a cool idea, actually. Cause you have like the idea of Jurassic Park was they're creating like a living museum. Yeah. Well, museums are filled with mummies. Uh-huh. What if we did one where they took it too far? Science yeah. went too far and brought a mummy back to life. This is this is almost encroaching into Clone High territory. Have you ever seen Clone oh, High? Yeah, that's a great. Is that yeah. is that Phil Lord and Chris? Yep. Yeah, it was their what first show. Haven't they done, dude? <laughs> I bet. Here, I'm gonna. I, I was gonna pitch this off the air. But I'm gonna pitch it on the air. We need to we need to do a thing where uh, we have like a watch along thing. Like when if written by starts okay. getting a little, they, yeah. tell your friends, guys. <laughs> if, if we start getting a little bit more of an audience, maybe we could do like a Patreon or like a Twitch or something where we could like watch fun stuff 
together yeah. with the audience and yeah. because <laughs> I think it would be really cool to like watch like all of uh, those guys' movies and shows yeah, and stuff yeah. and then like rank them or something. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. No, that's fun. That's fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But okay, okay. So the people that were behind recreating the vocal cords for King Tut were so embarrassed after that video, they started working even harder. <laughs> <laughs> and now... I love that video. And so there's, there's a scientist <laughs> that's just like alone after dark in the laboratory sweat dripping down mm. her head she's like oh i've almost got it and then all of a sudden the mummy speaks it's like hey um <laughs> would mummy he, would he would he speak in egyptian or would he speak he What's probably the... would speak in egyptian yeah right? yeah but is it but you know they got like not... translator technology. the mummy hasn't come back to life just his voice yeah and maybe we could do a cool thing where, like, the voice of an Egyptian. Maybe he was like a, a, a. I don't know what they had. They didn't have like witch doctors back then, but like a magician or something, so, uh, like a magic, where it's like his voice influences people. Hmm, yeah. So this dude had like a magic voice, and like once you hear it, you fall like under, under his spell. spell, and then you just you have him. I don't know. I feel like every monster movie is such like a cookie cutter. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, they've brought the monster back. Now the monster is slowly picking them off one by one. Like, yeah. what if we did something just completely off the wall different? Yeah. I almost, I like, I like the idea that like, I like the idea that they wanted to hear what this dude sounded like. Yeah they managed to do that and then maybe like through some like weird magic like it starts talking and like saying stuff unprompted because like with those computer programs you're like putting something in to simulate it <laughs> but what if like as soon as the pharaoh's voice is heard in the world that's what like attracts the egyptian spirits or whatever to like possess his body again mm. Or what if we do a courtroom drama with a mummy? <laughs> <laughs> the mummy's like, you can't have my voice. <laughs> um, I'm looking at like different genres because or what if we do a buddy cop movie with a mummy, <laughs> a mummy and a werewolf or something? I just want to do something different. Yeah. Because it's okay. like, I love the idea of like, yeah, his voice brings back, but it's like. In the movie The Mummy, it's a very similar concept. You know, you know what would be fun? What if, okay, this just, it takes place in ancient Egypt. It's just a fun little almost Pixar-ish short mm -hmm. where the mummy just has to run some errands, but like a piece of his cloth gets stuck and then he just starts to unravel and he's got to like do all these tasks but like try to keep himself from unraveling or even like it could be like there's a chase scene mm -hmm. but like as he's running his cloth gets loose and then all of a sudden like he's having to like run away or chase people while also trying to like hold himself together that could be fun yeah yeah what if we do so we're gonna go with an animated are we doing an animated I mean, it short? Could, it, could, it could be either. 
Oh, oh snap. We got a mummy budget. Yeah. Um, mummy budget. I like the idea of that. We'll, instead of the whole short being that, yeah. we'll use that in in the short. Mm-hmm. What if what if we did a a buddy buddy comedy buddy cop and it's a mummy and another monster that sounds mummy like and fun another monster the adventures okay. of the, and we could do either like a cartoon uh-huh. and it could be like a, or like a comic but you know anything like just something fun a short yeah, story yeah, yeah. Of, okay okay who who is like these things work well when you pair opposites so like what what's would, the opposite of a mummy yeah or like who would get along least with a mummy. So what what do we know about mummies in a uh, supernatural I mean, sense? All of them are pretty. They're just like dead Egyptian royalty, or like just dead royalty, because like common people aren't gonna be mummified. Mummy movie tropes. So it could almost be that this is like mummies are like the preps of the monster community because oh, they're they're royalty. Yeah. So maybe they're super. Uh, yeah. So what's the opposite of that? What's like the the grungy monster. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh. <laughs> I'm looking at more information about mummies. Um, so typically a mummy is a pharaoh who wants a nice place to rest and they're surrounded by his millions of dollars in loot. There's always someone that wants his stuff. So the mummy's got to go at, get out of his cozy sarcophagus and open a can of curse ass and his shambling arms straight out wrapped in bandages way. <laughs> Wait, you know what would be fun? <laughs> What if, like, a mummy comes to life and he's just living in his pyramid with all his riches, but then the IRS shows up <laughs> and is like, hey, you haven't paid taxes in on your treasures years. in a million years. You owe us a lot of money. The mummy versus the IRS. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> it's fresh in my mind because I just did my taxes. Yeah, me too. And saw everything everywhere, which takes place at the IRS building. I still need to see it. I still need to see it because I chose to go see the Lost City instead. Oh. <laughs> no regrets, brother. <laughs> um, the Mummy completes the classic quartet of Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, and the Wolfman. The four of the famous villains of the night. Yo, what if we? What if we? All right. <laughs> this might be something for another time, but I have to say it. What if we do like a team up, an Avengers style team up group of the four classic monster movies? Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, Wolfman, and a mummy in the mummy. <laughs> Maybe I could see. I don't. I feel like if I were to write that, it would just get too close to what we do in the shadows, which is. Like that's my ideal monster movie, where it's is just what you do in the shadow. Four, <laughs> four supernatural people just trying to chill in an apartment <laughs> together. <laughs> okay, let's let's try to let's try to get going on something here. Yeah. We've thrown out a bunch of ideas. Yeah. Anything that you think? Buddy cop, mummy, mummy gets audited. <laughs> both both really funny. Um, I think I think there's a. If you really want to do something different, we need to find like a really mundane everyday activity, mm -hmm. everyday conflict that the supernatural thing has to deal with. Yeah. What if we do the mummy versus the IRS? Let's let's see wh <laughs> where this takes us. Okay. My only fear is like where does that go? Or what if <laughs> or we could even do what if a mummy just like gets awakened 
it has all these riches. And so mm. it's like, huh, I'm like a millionaire in this life now. And then it just like, it decides to go to America and it's just like a tourist mummy. It's looking at all the sites. The first place <laughs> it goes, the Bass Pro Shop Pyramid. <laughs> oh, that's a fun. Oh, yeah. We could do a whole short just based <laughs> yeah. on that. Okay. Yeah, the bubby. Yeah, the bubby is like, I'm gonna visit the new world. I never knew this world existed in my time. Mm. It flies to Texas or whatever that is. Yeah, it's like I, I hear there is a pyramid. <laughs> is it in Las Vegas? It's in Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, that's right. It's not yeah. far from here. Yeah, <laughs> we could go. Or what if it's like <laughs> they close at nine? <laughs> the mummy's been road tripping across the U.S. and it heard there was a pyramid. It steps into the pyramid and instantly it just sees outdoor equipment and it is mortified. It's like, this is not a pyramid. Pyramids <laughs> are sacred. They are monuments to our royalty. You have turned it into a center of commerce. <laughs> and then he ends up like, he's like, this is unacceptable. So he buys it. <laughs> and then uh, he ends up just being the, ma the general manager of this Bass Pro Shop. Or what if the short is just the mummy freaking out and it's about him and the poor bass pro shop employee that has to calm him down oh okay <laughs> okay so the short is like a it's a customer service like karen yeah but it's a mummy <laughs> and it's a mummy. okay we can work with this this yeah. we can work with <laughs> now now we got something we can dip our feet into yeah. okay <laughs> all right um and so i pictured the mummy it's just like a classic bunny head to toe wrapped in whatever gauze. gauze. Yeah. It, but it's also, it's got like, it's got a little hat. It's, it's got, got binoculars around his on. neck and a, yeah, an open Hawaiian shirt. And he's got a camera. Yeah. And flip flops. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's walking around and he's taking pictures <laughs> or whatever. Like we open and we just see him like, <laughs> it's a wide shot. Yeah. And it's like this sidewalk. And in the background, you see the pyramid. Well, actually, let me pull up what this pyramid looks like location-wise. We'll put the picture up on the Instagram, too. Yeah. It's basically... It is it is very large or pyramid-shaped, but it is... It's, like, reflective. It looks like glass. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we see a wide shot like this. Yeah. And we see him just walking by, not looking at it. He's walking horizontally across, and he's got his camera, and he looks up, and he, like, takes a... Snaps a picture or whatever, and then he turns... And he sees the pyramid and he throws the camera in the air and he runs right inside. <laughs> yeah. And that's the opening shot. And then instantly when he goes in, because there's there's a big logo on this pyramid. So instantly when he goes in, he was like, I would like to talk to Pharaoh Best Pro. <laughs> Pharaoh Best Pro. Best Pro Shop. Be Best, Best Pro, Pro Shop. Be be what, what was the name of that other movie? That we were talking about with the Martin, or not Martin Luther King, JFK. Oh, and the Hotep. <laughs> Hotep. Best Pro Ship. I want to speak to Pharaoh. Best Pro Ship. <laughs> I want to speak to Pharaoh. Best Pro Ship. <laughs> and then it's just like a 17-year-old who's like, He's like uh, uh, is, this a, is this a joke? Is this for TikTok? <laughs> I don't get it, bro. Yeah. He's like, what is it? Clock? What do you mean TikTok? Is it... <laughs> <laughs> And then he starts to walk further inside and he notices that it's a store. Because, like, okay, regular pyramids, like in the Egyptian days, mm -hmm. they're full of, like, 
belongings of the pharaoh because right. if they put it in there then he gets to take it with him to his next life so he's like huh this pharaoh seemed to like fishing rods <laughs> <laughs> and why does he have so many and then he sees a customer like taking one he's oh, like you oh, can't touch that he gets really mad <laughs> yeah oh and then he runs back up to the 16 year old uh servant <laughs> I would like you to know you need to sound the alarm. Set the booby traps. Someone has just stolen one of Pharaoh Bass Pro Shop uh, prized items. And they we whip pan over and there's just someone leaving with their bag and it's like a life like a life jacket. And he's like, and, he, and he, the mummy runs over there and he rips the, the life jacket out of the bag and he's like, ah, ceremonial garb. <laughs> Yeah, I like this. This is fun. This is, this is fun. fun. See, this is what I was talking yeah. about, Rob. <laughs> so where, where's the short going? Like, how do you, how do, how do we think we see this ending? Um, I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. Um, what's the what would what's the what's the conflict? The conflict is he doesn't understand why this pyramid is operating as a store like he just doesn't grasp the concept yeah or not even that he doesn't grasp it it's a i mean he doesn't grasp it but the conflict is that he thinks this is this is not respectful of like pyramids this is not how it's supposed to be it's like uh, it's a sacrilegious monument to american consumerism that you have put in my sacred pyramid yeah and so the conflict is he's trying to like stop the bass pro shop from operating and it's down to this one kid to like keep things going yeah oh there's so many jokes i want to speak i want i want to speak to pharaoh bass pro shop huh what what do you mean the pharaoh what what do you mean the pharaoh who's in charge oh i am you're the pharaoh (laughs) you're the pharaoh and then he says something like, ah, I too was only 16 when I became Pharaoh. Because they were always super <laughs> yeah, young. Yeah. <laughs> you There's know, a ton of jokes. We just need an actual ending to the story. <laughs> I think I think where we approach the mummy character from mm-hmm. is I think this dude just needs a friend. Because like this dude, he's been dead for thousands hundreds of thousands (laughs) of years and he just woke up he's got all the money in the world but everyone he knew is dead yeah and so he's touring america alone by himself Mm, so he He has no one to go with so maybe by the end of it this 17 year old bass pro shop employee is like hey he's like hey man i'll get off in two minutes if Uh uh-huh you want to like if you want to play uh play deer hunter or buck hunter or whatever that video game is oh and then that's the ending it's just yeah, them as they, the credits rolling it's just them be like ha whoa i got huh. it yeah. i got it yeah that's fun yeah that's fun <laughs> i really like this yeah but maybe we are a, the monster guys yeah it's maybe, big buck hunter yeah yeah big buck hunter maybe we are the monster movie guys. yeah we could make this easily we just need to get into that bass pro shop yeah Oh man, okay. We got a great edit. Now how do we get there? How do we get there? We have a beginning. Yeah. And we have an ending. Mm-hmm. So I guess let's just work our way. So he walks in. Okay. He sees everything. He, we do the gag where uh um he asks the guy who's the pharaoh. 
uh, we do the gag where someone's just bought something and he gets really upset because he thinks that they're stealing. He calls him a grave robber. Yeah. Um, maybe one more gag that shows how lonely he is. Yeah. I think someone, one of the patrons of the best pro shop has to say something mean about him or is like, look at that freak with the gauze or what? It's like a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Like a little kid's like, it's like, mom, why does that man look funny? And he's like, I don't look funny. You look funny. I'm a king. It's like, we don't have kings here in Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> the only king we got, brother, is the king. Yeah. The king of kings and President Trump. <laughs> <laughs> is the king Elvis Presley maybe even Elvis Presley <laughs> the king of that's actually gold. that's that's the most fun yeah only king we got is Presley he's been and he's been dead for um so okay so the 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 mummy is mad and he's trying to stop people from buying stuff at the Bass Pro Shop but then yeah. someone else like engages and like makes fun of him and then maybe the employee like breaks it up and the mummy's a little torn up which is like man no no one out here appreciates me oh. they only like this this best pro ship and elvis presley best king presley <laughs> king presley yeah 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 and i i've been i've been journeying all over your land trying to understand this this new, new mankind society. but but maybe I'm just too old for this world. Yeah. Maybe I should go back to my tomb and mm. go back to sleep for another hundred thousand years. And he yeah. gets real sad. Yeah. He he like starts to cry and it's like making the gauze wet around his eyes. <laughs> He's like, oh, hey, man, like it's not that deep, bro. It's just <laughs> kids say the darndest things. He's like, hey, man, I, th I think you're really cool. You've been. Oh, you know what? He he's like, hey. I'll just let me let me show you around. You know, the best the best pro shop's actually kind of fun. And then he like, he was like, "Hey, try on this camo jacket." It was like, "Oh, that looks great." Here, put on this Carhartt hat. Yeah. <laughs> and so at the end, they're playing Big Buck Hunter. He's dressed in all Carhartt like yeah. Bass Pro Shop camo, gear. Carhartt Timbaland. And they're just having the time of their life. Yeah. This one isn't necessarily narrative driven. Uh -huh. It's more about like the fun moments throughout. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it Jokes turns. And... Yeah, the low point is he feels bad, right? And you know about not being able to understand this new time period he's in, right? And so that how we get out of that is the teenager. It just basically turns into like a makeover montage, and then the playing games, looking at the fish in the indoor <laughs> pod. He like tries to grab one. Like, this is how he fished in Egypt. I don't know if that's true or not but yeah something something fun <laughs> yeah. like that and oh we could even have a joke where uh in his saddest moment he's like i i don't even know how to be a good consumer and he was like you're a better consumer than that lady and it whips pans over and it's like a classic karen and uh -huh. she's like you still haven't given me my <laughs> whatever <laughs> okay let's, let's try to organize some of this i think we we got all of it we just here, have to make sense of it What's our mummy's name? Can you look up like an old Egyptian name? Yeah. Hatshepsut. <laughs> and then there's King Tut. Tutankhamun. Akintin. Ram Ramesses. Ramses. Yeah, Ramses. Let's do Ramses. Okay. Nefertari. Nebetawe. Oh, I kind of like Nefertari. Nefertari is cool. Yeah. We can call him Nef. 
Yeah. And he only wears Neff brand <laughs> jackets. <laughs> Neff Atari. Okay. Oh, there's only 22 pharaohs. Wow. We have more presidents than pharaohs. Oh, wait, never mind. I lied. <laughs> there's over 200 pharaohs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we open Nefertari is walking around in all his tourist garb taking pictures. He sees a pyramid on the horizon, just starts running. He walks in, it's like, turns to our employee instantly. It's like, I would like to speak to Pharaoh Bas Proship. And he's like, uh, <laughs> Such I don't a know who joke. that is. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> do you, do you run the grounds here? And it's like, I guess. And he's like, yeah. And then he sees, he just looks around and is like, oh, look at all these relics. He really liked fishing, I suppose. And then he sees someone walking away with merchandise. He's like, he's escaping with a prized item. That caused a little bit of a scene. Our employee is like, mm-hmm. hey, hey, no, they're just buying stuff. It's okay. And then that's when our uh, our obnoxious customer is like, what does he say? the obnoxious customer what if okay what if the obnoxious customer is the dude trying to leave oh that gives him a yeah because then he's like hey i paid for this with my own money (laughs) and he's like how dare you speak to me like that i am a king and he goes we're in memphis baby the only king we got is the king elvis presley Presley. (laughs) and he's like you tell this i know not of this king presley (laughs) (laughs) i know not of this king presley I challenge him to a king off. <laughs> what is a king off? I don't know. He's <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. laughs> like, he turns to the employee. He's like, "Hey, are you gonna do anything about this freak?" <laughs> yeah, this freak. He's like, look at him. He, he looks like a, a freak show. Uh, and he just starts more and more making fun of him and tearing him down. Oh, you know, you know what's got to end it? They like get into a scuffle and then the customer throws his camera on the ground. Oh, and it breaks. yeah. All the memories he's collected from. From his trip to the yeah. America. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, and so he walks. They're, they're fighting over yeah. his item that he he bought, yeah. but he refuses to let. What do you think he bought? It's got to be something funny. What do you buy from Bass Pro Shop? Okay, it's fishing, hunting, golf. Yeah, uh, there's some sports stuff. It's it's a bit yeah. It's rafting, outdoor stuff, camping kayaking. stuff. I like the idea of it being like a a life jacket. And he's like, a ceremonial garb? You yeah, can't steal yeah. his ceremonial garb. Uh-huh. Or I mean, they have Bass Pro Shop hoodies. You know what I mean? Like, it could be a Bass Pro Shop hoodie, and it says Bass Pro Shop on it. So he's like, oh, yeah. that's Bass Pro, Pro Ship. Pro <laughs> Ship. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. It's a Bass Pro Shop hoodie. Oh, he's, so he's, he's like, this that. is mine. Oh, yeah? Where's your name on it? And he's yeah. like, what are, you, what are you talking about? I don't see your name on it. I see Bass Pro Ship. Yeah, I see his name. I see his name on it. Our dude's like, hey, chill. No, he's just buying it. That's what he did. Like, oh, yeah. So they're, they're this jacket back and forth. And then uh, the guy grabs it and he rips the jacket out of Nasford, whatever we called him. Ne- what was his name? Nef- uh, Nefetari. Nefetari. 
Nefertari's hands, and when he does it, the camera goes flying off his neck and busts on the ground. One more thing that could escalate it, because because we want them to end playing Buck Hunter. What if the camera falls? Since this is Memphis and they're mm-hmm. in a Bass Pro Shop, dude's strapped, and so he like oh, pulls out his gun and He's shoots like, the camera. No, he doesn't shoot. <laughs> Or maybe he does. I, <laughs> I was just picturing he like points it. It's like, don't make a move, bandage breaker. You bandage bandit. Yeah. You bandage wearing freak. Where are yeah. you from? The burn ward? Uh, yeah. From the burn ward. I'm going to walk out of here with my best pro shop hoodie and my rifle because I'm a cop here in America. This is Memphis, <laughs> Tennessee. And then he shoots the camera and walks he out. Shoots the camera. Because that's my God-given right as an American. <laughs> All right, so we have that. Yeah. Then he has this really sad moment. Yeah, and he's like, I just, I don't understand. I've I've been asleep for so long. It's just the whole world has changed. It's gone mad. I have all these riches. I could travel wherever I want, buy wherever I want, but I have no one to do it with. Yeah, and he's like, well, come on, man. At least... Don't be so down. Here, let me show you around. And then they do fun stuff like the... Yeah. Um, he tries on the clothes like we talked about. Yeah. He puts on camo jacket, puts on the car hard I believe there's like a, a driving range at this pyramid, like where you can test out golf clubs. So oh, so he's that. golfing. There is an indoor the, like the aquarium. Yeah. yeah, they're looking at the fish. Maybe he reaches his hand in and <laughs> yeah. pulls out a fish and like takes yeah. a picture of it. It's like, no, it. you can't do it. Oh, they get him a new camera. Oh, they sell GoPros at Bass yeah, Pro Shop. Yeah, yeah. He's got like the GoPro strapped on his head. Yes. And then uh and the whole time it's like, let me tell you about my best friend. There's and gotta then, be a gag where like he's looking at knives and accidentally like cuts a bit of the gauze or something. Oh, and he's like, oh but yeah. then then his friend the 16-year-old picks it up, ties it around his head like a bandana, and he's like <laughs> yeah double thumbs up yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it, we fade out as they're playing uh buck hunter and yeah. uh there's just the mummy's so happy yeah <laughs> i think we need like we need like a final like conversation or like a line or something because like we see the montage where it's getting better what's like the yeah. last like you know final thing where it's closed out or it could even be oh, that. Hey man, we gotta close in like five minutes. I've had a blast though. He goes, Oh, okay. Well, thank you for showing me a good time. And then the mummy slowly goes to leave, and then the kid goes, Well, I mean, I have to lock up, but that doesn't mean we have to leave. And then the mummy like turns around, he's like, I like you, Pharaoh Bass Pro Ship. <laughs> and then they then it cuts to them playing. Play Buck Hunter. Yeah, and the yeah. lights are out and stuff. And... Yeah, and when the credits roll, it's just all the photos he took on the camera. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. so fun. Yeah, yeah, that's it. We, we I got it. I like that, yeah. <laughs> it's fun. a customer name and the employee name yeah 
well, the customer's name, uh, we'll call him uh, Billy Bob. Billy Bob. Like Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, Billy Bob. No, let's go with, what's a redneck name? Bubba. Bubba, yeah. Bubba Hotep. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll do Bubba is the customer, and then the kid can just be like um, Van. Van, that's fun, yeah. Yeah, so Van, Bubba, and ne- Ness, what was it? Nefetari. Nefetari, yeah, Nefetari. Is it any F-E or any F-A? Uh, nef- N-E-F-E-R-T-A-R, Nefetari. Oh, I've already got the name, dude. But, I'm going to keep looking for stuff, but I think I oh, got okay. it. I'm going to save it for a surprise at the end. <laughs> okay. So we open on Nefertari, a <laughs> mummy covered head to toe in ancient looking gauze. But he's also, he's got on a pair of sunglasses. He's got an open Hawaiian shirt. He's got flip flops, a hat, and a camera around his neck. And he is in the middle of a city taking photos kind of on the edge of a highway or whatever he's taking some photos of himself some photos around and then he turns he sees something in the distance over the horizon is the Bass Pro Shop Pyramid (laughs) as soon as he makes out the pyramid he jumps with joy and starts running that direction we cut to the inside of the Bass Pro Shop Pyramid he walks in super excited looking around he walks up to the first person he sees which is van a 17 year old bass pro shop employee working at a register nefertari walks up to him he's like hello i would like to speak to pharaoh (laughs) bass pro ship (laughs) van is like uh i don't i don't know who that is he's like do you do you run the grounds here and it's like uh (laughs) Yeah, I guess. It's like, wonderful. I'll, I'll be speaking with you in a minute. And then he looks around. He's like, wow, there is so much here. So much opulence in this pyramid. And it's like, wow, just look at these relics. Pharaoh Besprosia must have been really into <laughs> fishing and knivery or whatever. He's just looking at all the products. You see some other people around. He's like, huh, there's a lot of people in here for a sacred pyramid. It's like, hey, don't touch that. That's Bass Pro Ships. Don't touch that. He's like, hey, what, what are you doing in here? Don't. Where is the, the grounds bed? There are too many people in here. And then he sees Van has just checked out someone. His name is Bubba. He's a real country looking person. He's just checked Bubba out. Bubba is walking out of the pyramid with a brand new Bass Pro Shop hoodie. Nefertari instantly runs up to him aghast and he tries to yank the hoodie out of Bubba's hand. He's like, uh, you cannot leave this pyramid with Bass Pro Ship's relics. And he's like, <laughs> I was like, hey, get off me. What's, your, what's the big idea? <laughs> Nefertari's like, I see you looting and thieving this pyramid. You you must drop the relic at once or, he, or Bass Pro Ship will not have it in the afterlife. <laughs> I was like, after life, give, give me my hoodie. I pay for this with my own American money. <laughs> Nefertari tries to yell at, at Van, who's like coming over once he noticed the conflict. Nefertari's like, uh, excuse me, I just caught this peasant and he's trying to make way with one of Best Pro Ship's <laughs> sacred garments. And Van's like, hey, that's just a hoodie. Chill out, okay? I was like, give me that back, you freak. 
Nefertari's like, oh, that is no way. I'll have you know I am a pharaoh. I am a king. He's like, well, this is Memphis, Tennessee. The only king we have here is the king, Elvis Presley. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Nefertari's like, oh, well, I would like to speak to this king, Presley. Let's give me that back at first. <laughs> It's like, uh, hey, hey, just chill. He's just a customer. Okay, it's like, there are no customers at the Sacred Pyramid. Give me that. And he tries to yank the hoodie. Boba yanks <laughs> the hoodie back. They're yanking back and forth. And then all of a sudden, Nefertari loses his grip. He falls backwards. His camera falls off his neck and onto the ground. He tries to lunge at Bubba. But then Bubba, being the God-fearing American Tennessean he is, he pulls out his firearm. It's like, not so fast, <laughs> mister. <laughs> And I guess at this point, Nefertari like knows what a gun is, mm. or at least he could tell from Van's reaction. Mm. He's like, "Whoa, whoa! Everyone, stay calm." Nefertari stops. Bubba walks up. And he's like, "I pay for this fair and square." <laughs> and this freak that just came from the burn board isn't gonna tell me nothing. He walks up and he stomps on his camera with his foot, crushes it. He's like, "Have a nice day, Pharaoh." <laughs> he yeah. walks out. Nefertari walks up to his camera, which is destroyed, and he just kind of sits down in the middle of the Bass Pro Shop with his head down. Van is like, uh, dude, you, you okay? And then Nefertari's like, uh, you know, maybe this was a mistake. I, uh, man, ever since waking up, I just, I have not been able to understand this society. Man, I've <laughs> I'm royalty. I was royalty back in my day. And when I awoke, everyone I ever knew was dead. I have I have all the riches I could ever ask for, but not not a single person to share them with. And I just I've been journeying your land trying to learn your customs and your ways and I guess maybe I should just return to another hundred thousand year slumber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey man, it's like uh well you know it's not so bad here. There's a lot of fun stuff to do in the in the Bass Pro Shop. And so he, like, takes takes Nefertari, helps him up. He's like, hey, why don't, why don't you come over here? You should, I like I like that shirt. Maybe you should, you should try this jacket over it. And he puts on a camo jacket. Nefertari's like, oh, this does look, look rather ravishing on me. <laughs> He's like, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> dude, you, you know what's in right now? Carhartt. Try on this Carhartt beanie. And he's like, He's looking at himself in a mirror, and he's like, ah, oh, I kind of like this look. Is this what the royalty <laughs> of, of your time wears? It's like, oh, I guess. Uh, a lot of TikTokers wear this. <laughs> <laughs> and so we just see him, like, try it on a bunch of clothes. He's looking at the knives. He's playing golf. He's at the aquarium, and he reaches his hand in and grabs a fish, and... He's gotten himself a new GoPro, and he's taken a bunch <laughs> of video with that. And then he sees a he sees a Buck Hunter game, and he's like, "Ah, oh, that's what, that's what that that nasty peasant had." <laughs> he's pointing at the gun. Yeah. He's like, "Uh, yeah, but th this isn't dangerous. This is just a game. This is just a game, okay?" And he's like, "Oh, <laughs> teach me this game." And so they're playing Buck Hunter together, and he's getting really into it. And then it just ends. Van is like, all the lights have turned out, and the Van walks up to him as he's still playing, trying to beat his score. And he's like, uh, 
Dude, I gotta lock up, man. You can't be here anymore. He just looks kind of disappointed, like, oh! Oh, I guess not. And the man's like, but, uh, I'll be off in 15. Uh, and he's like, uh, oh, oh, they're like kind of pointing at each other. And then <laughs> you, you cut to black, the credits roll. And as the credits roll, you see like photos of all them together, like <laughs> at a restaurant or a bar or something, just chilling. And then he's making a bunch of new friends in the city. And they're all posing with Nefertari the mummy, who's wearing Carhartt and camo. <laughs> and, nice. Man. Oh, man, that was a fun one. All right, I've got the name. All right, what, you ready what for is this? the name? Yeah, the Great American Pyramid. That's great. That's great. That, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I mean, it sums up everything. Yep. All right. Well. Yeah. The, all right. Yeah. That's a that's a short. <laughs> and this has been the Great American Pyramid, written by Robert Therrell and Chase Bridges. <laughs> Yo, Bass Pro Ship? Bass Pro Ship? As, as an Egyptian name, bro? I just, I picture, you know the Parks and Rec episode where Ron Swanson is getting two wins of Buck Hunter? Yeah, 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 that's yeah. What yeah. <laughs> and that does it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Man, we really had a lot of fun with this episode. I, I really like our, our tourist mummy character. Special thanks again to Christopher Weiner for coming on the show. Really appreciated having him. It was awesome to hear from someone that's been in the screenwriting business for as long as he has. Guys, El Camino Christmas, his movie, it's on Netflix. If you want to check it out. Also, we got links in the show notes to all his stuff. Screenwriters Utopia, the website. Also, they have a great Instagram page with a bunch of screenwriting memes. So check that out our instagram page guys that's at written by pod on instagram that's that's the best place to stay up to date with everything we're doing on the podcast we've got a lot of cool stuff coming at you this week so if you aren't following the instagram we got a bunch of memes funny stuff bunch of reels coming at you so that's at written by pod on instagram follow it also voting for rival pitches last week was our pink panther rival pitch still got another week to vote on those if you haven't already so it got until july 31st so how are you gonna do it is just scroll back to our post with the episode graphic for the pink panther rival pitch and leave a comment letting us know which pitch you like the best again we're gonna tally up the winners of all these rival pitches at the end of the year and whoever wins will get a special prize we haven't decided yet so guys also our email is at written by podcast at gmail.com if you want to send in suggestions for things that we put in the bowl that we draw from at the beginning of each episode you can email all those suggestions and we will put them in the bowl and you could be responsible for the next written by episode guys i'm robert chase is a co-host you can follow me at robert two underscores isaac chase at chase bridges two underscores We're coming at you with a really fun rival pitch next week. I can't wait for you to hear it. We'll see you next week.